Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Welcome to the after party. It's time to change. You're just getting started. You can teach an old dog new ways and not just on Saturday. Hello, you delightful people. It's Anna David with After Party Pod. Yeah, the show about addiction and recovery. And today we get a lot into mental illness, which is a, you know, it's an addendum to what we do here. Um, and And it was great because I have a weird thing where I am less comfortable talking about that than I am talking about addiction and alcoholism. And it's sort of the opposite, I think, of the societal bias, which is that, you know, a lot of empathy for mental illness. I mean, not a lot, let's be honest, but comparatively speaking, um, where addiction and alcoholism is seen so much more as a moral issue. I'm sort of the opposite. I, I don't know, in terms of the, the shame factor, I'll say anything about being an alcoholic or being an addict, and I'm just weird about mental illness. So whatever, I'll save it for therapy. I didn't mean to get so serious so fast. Uh, what's going on? Well, hey, um, I should probably tell you that this podcast is brought to you by Audible. And you, that what that means. So it's like, yeah, whatever. What does that mean for you? What it means for you is that you can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial if you just go to audibletrial.com slash afterpartypod. I'll tell you, I got the Lena Dunham memoir on um, Audible, and I've been listening to it. You can get a lot of other stuff too. So yeah, go do that. Why not? 30-day free trial, free book. This is America, or if it's not America, welcome. I, I love an international <laughs> listenership. Um, but we like free stuff. Who doesn't like free stuff, right? Speaking of which, After Party Chat, the website that accompanies this podcast is free. I mean, as opposed to, say, the New York Times or you got to subscribe and other websites, it's totally free. And it has a lot of articles and things you would like. So go check that out if you haven't already. So... I was going to give shout outs to people who have been reviewing the podcast, but then I thought, why not give shout outs to our Twitter friends? Like those people who tweet about the show regularly, lovingly, um, makes such a difference, particularly today. I'm going to talk about Hannah. Maybe it's Hannah. Hannah Bobana on Twitter. It's a whole thing. Well, no, it's not a whole thing. It's spelled exactly how it sounds. It's just that there's a lot of capital letters in it right now. Hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H-B-O-B-A-N-N-A-90. Yeah, that's a commitment. Go follow her. She's the sweetest. And how about Lisa Porter? How about our friendly supporter? What you guys do makes such a difference. So if you other people who are not those two want to make such a difference, tweet at us. Yeah, tweet at me personally, however you want to do it. Uh, and review us on the podcast, uh, sorry, on the iTunes where 
Uh, you will help us go up in the rankings and help other people find us. And you are therefore doing your part to help addiction and alcoholism get destigmatized. It's pretty easy, right? Anyway, today's guest is lovely. Her name is Lisa Sunstet. S U N. I'm going to spell it because it's more complicated than you might think. S U N D S T E D T. She's a comedian, a writer an actress, voiceover artist, and somebody I learned today who put on those shows for her parents, you know, those shows. I don't know. I used to make my mother and uh, our neighbors listen to me uh, sing songs from Chorus Line that I was too young to understand. Like, I knew tits and ass were things you shouldn't be talking about, but I really didn't get what any of it meant. Anyway, Lisa managed to make that into a career which is very young going on um, to to do these shows in Morocco. And she sang with Shana Na. I mean, there is so much going on. She's also uh, been sober, I believe. I have no memory. We talk about that in the show. But I believe she said uh, over seven years. And we talk about that straight up alcoholic. She didn't mess around with any of these drugs. She just went for the liquid, the liquid drug of alcohol. And, uh, and we talk about how she, she worked on Chelsea lately. Uh, she created, sorry, the main thing she did is she created a show called pretty funny women, which is the longest running all female comedy show in the country. She started it in 1995. She's done a lot. And, um, and like I said, we get into the, we get into the mental illness, the bipolar, um, which I'm not always, that's how I started. Not always super comfortable talking about because it's sort of new, uh, discovery in my life. Anyway, so with that, you know, just keep listening. Those are just the cliff notes. You'll love this. Lisa Sunstead. I first started taking drugs by chewing blocks of hash. Oh my God. I think my copy has like blood stains on it from shooting up while reading it. Party animal. I hate to say that because that makes me sound Paris Hilton. I was on the, as right. I call it, the Autobahn to nowhere. I'm very lucky because would you have wanted to have a celebrity junkie for a dad? So hi, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's great please, to be here. Please, I've heard such good things about you. Now I follow you on Twitter. I know. I just saw that, and I followed you back. This is like this is like we're now B- BFFs. Yes, like that's absolutely. what that's what that means in 2014. Yes. It um. Does. So so we were just talking about how you started Pretty Funny Women. Tw- yes. Did you just in tell the, me 20 well, years ago? I don't. I can't do math, but it was in '96. That, and that's. Seems like it's twenty. Oh, well, so maybe 14, in two years, be eighteen. Yes, eighteen. Eighteen years. Old enough to drink in Europe. Yes, is 18? your show really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh wow. Good thing I didn't live there. Yeah, I mean, a good alcoholic would have, would have, of course, would have known moved that. there. Yeah. <laughs> I. So okay, and so you started it. Well, let's let's just actually literally go back to the beginning. Where are you from? I'm from Oceanside, California. Okay, which is near here. Yeah, San Diego County. Okay, yeah, it's about two hours south. Okay, with good. the traffic five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, where I live, ten blocks away, is with the traffic five hours yeah, practically. Exactly. Um, and so good place 
used to drink, I would imagine. Um, sure. I mean, I drank all throughout high school. Who didn't? Yeah, of course. So what was your first drink? My first drink was I was at a school dance mm-hmm. and Greg Conway. Mm-hmm. Hi, Greg. <laughs> He's a listener, you know. <laughs> he probably is. Um, my pa- my mother made me uh, have her drop me off at the dance. Mm-hmm. At the, and I said, drop me off at the edge of the parking lot because I'm too embarrassed to be seen by my mom. Of course. Dropping me off at the dance. Yeah. So I'm walking across the parking lot with my girlfriend and Greg Conway drives up in his truck and he goes, hey, girls, you want to go have a brewski? <laughs> so I was like, okay. And I'd never had a drink of anything Wait, before. What? How, what grade was this? I was 15. Okay, so like sophomore? Ninth grade. Ninth grade. Yeah. So we pulled off into some dirt road, and I had probably half a beer, Mm -hmm. and I'll never forget the way I felt. I got so high, Mm -hmm. and I was like, I can't believe this feeling! This was like the greatest. I had discovered heaven. Yeah. And the dance was more fun, and the guys were cuter, and I was cuter, and suddenly confident, and it was just... I, I was like, I can't believe I've never experienced this before. I've been missing out all this time. God, that so brings me back. That feeling. And it, it's like half a beer. Yeah, half a beer. And that's all it took. Yes. Um, and had you been curious about drinking before? Did you know anything about I it? I don't think I ever thought about it. Even though my parents drank a lot, there was mm-hmm. always alcohol around our house. I don't think it ever really occurred to me. Mm-hmm. And that then I was a little rebellious, I think, at mm-hmm. that age, and just wanted to try something I wasn't supposed to do. Yeah. And then it was on. And so what happened? At, so that dance, you're like, this is the best well, time I've ever was had. great. I just yeah. got buzzed. Yeah. And that's a nice place to be. Sure buzzed. Is. Remember that? That's hard yeah. to remember. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes. Yes. I, I don't remember getting buzzed. I mean, it hasn't happened in many, many, many years. How long are you sober? How, oh, so, uh, eight, seven and a half years. Nice. So it was June 10th, 2007. Nice. Which is the AA birthday, ironically. I didn't pick that date. Look at that. Isn't that cool? Uh, uh, so I never want to go out. Yeah. I, I don't want to lose that date. Yeah. You know, like people who, but this is like, this is my warning. People who get so attached to their dates, you always hear like, okay, like this guy, I've talked about this on the podcast, I think, but this guy, I remember when I was new, he got, he got like a trademark on, tattooed on his shoulder of his date. Oh, no. And everyone's like, he's going to go out. And he did. Yeah. Which is just to say, I, I'm sure you're fine. Yeah. Well, if but I do go out, I'm going to have to come back on, on, June, on 7th, a June, June 10th. June 10th. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. No problem. No problem. We can yeah. obviously control the exact time we come back. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So you were buzzed. You were in like a freshman. Mm-hmm. And Having a great time. And then Happy. what happened? And nothing happened that night. It was just a fun night. Mm-hmm. And, but then I proceeded to do it every weekend mm-hmm. with my friends. And one time my parents went out of town and uh, these three seniors came and picked me up. Mm-hmm. And we went to the school, the junior high school, mm-hmm. and sat on the steps and they bought me a bottle of Tickle Pink. What's that? Do you remember that no. one? It's like Boone's Farm. It's like a cheap, gross, two, two buck chuck. Yeah. I drank the entire bottle. How sick were you that night? Oh my god! I I I I peed in front of them, yeah. <laughs> but not in your pants. So that's not so no, bad. Exactly. Like I just was like, I have to go, and I just took my pants. And then apparently, I don't remember a lot of it because I think I blacked out. But mm-hmm. I was crying and throwing up, mm-hmm. and a great night. Yeah, yeah, just making a complete ass of myself in front of these guys, and then they had to carry me in the house. Mm-hmm. And, of course, sick as a dog the next day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it never occurred to me. 
that this is a problem and I shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. I just thought, oh, everybody does this and this is the way it, it is. And But weren't they doing it too? Or just or did you notice maybe they weren't as bad? Um, I don't think people... I don't know. The friends I hung out with drank. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that people drank an entire bottle of wine mm-hmm. and did that you know pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization, right? Feeling horrible about yourself. But did you back then, or were you just like, "This is fun, it's oh, great, no. yeah, nothing"? I thought it was funny and cool, yeah, and I was bragging about it, yeah, to people. And so, how often did that start happening? That didn't happen a lot. Mm-hmm. I kind of. I guess you could say managed and controlled it for a while throughout high school. I drank, I was very high functioning. Mm-hmm. So I was on the speech team and I was a cheerleader and I, I did all those things in high school and the activities and it never affected my grades and I hid it from my parents. Mm-hmm. And I just, but I, ha- I remember having hangovers every Sunday. Oh, yeah. And that is something I do not miss. Yeah. I, you know what? I kind of liked them. You did? Well, only because in the Coke years, they were so bad. They weren't hangovers. They were just um, days of being suicidal. Yeah. So the the hangovers were like, I don't know if you're a sort of type A person. I feel like you could be. Mm-hmm. But they were the one time where I just didn't put pressure on myself to do. I could just watch movies. Yeah. Smoke cigarettes. Give, give yourself permission. Eat, eat a lot. Like, yeah. I didn't mind the hangovers. Oh, God. I did. Yeah, just that sick feeling, that headachey yeah. feeling, like the shaky feeling. It's just like, ugh, I'm so glad I don't have that anymore. I'm so happy. Yeah. So, so that was that was just you were just drinking on like Saturday nights, um, which yeah, is Friday a high schooler. Nights. It's yeah. hard to do a lot more than that, right? Um, and then what happened? And then I I never went to college. I went to like one year of community mm-hmm. college and dropped out. I mm-hmm. couldn't handle it. And I became an entertainer. I became a singer-dancer and started touring wow. the world. How did that happen? Um, well, I was always into drama and acting, and I was always producing shows for my parents when I was little. Oh, you mean like doing those shows where you make them sit and watch? Yes, exactly. Oh, okay. You charge them to get in. Oh, God, those were so great. Yeah. Didn't all kids... I did those. Didn't all kids do those? I don't do think those? all kids do that. What were your numbers that you would say... And did you get, like, neighborhood kids to do it, too? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, my brothers would be in the show, and I would write little parts for them. So it was always... You know, my mom is a career counselor, and she says the thing you were doing as a kid for fun is what you should be doing as an adult for work. Isn't that That's interesting? That's so fascinating. I mean, I will say I put on those shows where I would sing and lip sync, and I should not be doing that. Not to defy your mother. But, but yeah, God, those were so fun. I know. Our poor mothers. I mean, my mom just sat through show after show. Yeah. Maybe they were cute. But yours were probably good because then you became an actual professional well, singer and dancer. I don't know how good they were because I would do dramas. Mm. Can you imagine? Written. Your originals. Based on soap operas that I'd been watching. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. That's amazing. So, but what I liked about it, you're like, I I used to produce shows for my family. Like, you actually call it, like, producing. Producing. Yeah. Well, that's what it is, you know? You get the whole thing together. You get the cast together. The, the, did you do the, what's it called? The flyers? Programs? Programs. No, I don't think I ever did programs, but I did, like... I do remember charging mm-hmm. them to get How much? in. I think it was like 50 cents uh-huh. and, and they paid and I made some money. Yeah. And so that was really fun. Yeah. So then, and so how did you then, you know, transition into doing it professionally? Well, I, uh, okay. When I was in junior college, I only went for a year, but I had an acting 
teacher who mm-hmm. wanted me to play the lead mm-hmm. in his original musical, mm-hmm. but I had never sang, sung, sang, I don't know how to, with the cr- correct I, I never know these grammatical things. I had I'm never sung before. Things. Yeah. That sounds never, right, right? I'd never sang, yeah, I... Yeah. This is embarrassing. And so I had to take some lessons and learn. And then I played the lead in this show and I really liked it. And I continued singing and, learn, you know, and studying. And then I got this gig when I was like 22. I got this gig in Morocco with a woman. It's, this sounds fake when I tell this story. Yeah. Her name was Gypsy. Uh-huh. I never even knew her last name. Was she American? Yes. Moroccan, okay. Yes. Gypsy. And she had contracts with like the Casablanca, like the Hyatt Hotel in Casablanca. Mm-hmm. And she would go to Egypt and she would go to all these different places and take dancers with her and put on a show. What kind of dance were you doing? Well, I wasn't a dancer. I was the singer in the show. Okay. But there were like these five girls with me who were stunning mm-hmm. but had no talent. Mm-hmm. So they could barely dance. And they couldn't sing. Mm-hmm. And I was carrying the whole show. Mm-hmm. And the show was horrible. But I got paid $250 a week to go live in Morocco for two months. All expenses paid, including food. And and I've been to Morocco. 250 can go pretty far. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you're, all your food's paid for and yeah. you're living in a hotel. You're, you're banking it. Yeah. And we did one show at midnight. And that was my introduction into show business. And then I went to Tokyo, Disneyland, Japan. And... With this, with Gypsy? No, this was a totally different audition for Disney and wow. got cast there. And that was six months in Tokyo Disneyland. Then I auditioned for Shanana, the 50s band, and sang with them for four years. Sha- How do I not know this? That's insane. Yeah. Shanana. Mm-hmm. I, I was the only girl in the group and I toured with them for four years all over the world. Oh my God. That's amazing. Yeah. Ah, so, and so was, you know, alcoholism alive and well during those years? Um... Yeah, mm-hmm. it was. Looking back, I drank a lot. Not so much with Sean and I, because they weren't big partiers. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, I didn't do it unless other people around me did it. Mm-hmm. But I do remember drinking a little bit too much in Morocco and doing some things that I wasn't proud of. Like what? Like leaving with men. Yeah. Going to their apartment. Yeah. And so dangerous. Yeah. You know, I'm in another country with some strange guy. Yeah. Having sex with him. Yeah. Unprotected. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. I love it. You're like, yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, the stuff I did and the fact that it never, yes, of course it eats at our souls, but it, that it never really, I never really suffered repercussions from I know. that. I know. Is amazing. I can't believe I'm alive. I can't believe somebody didn't roofie me and kill yeah. me in one of these countries where, you know, I did a lot of really stupid things. Yeah. Due to yeah. the drinking. Yeah. I, so, okay, so you were doing that stuff. You were up to that stuff, traveling mm-hmm. around, mm-hmm. Um, but like not drinking that much because. Well, I didn't notice if mm-hmm. it was extreme. Because mm-hmm. I surrounded myself with people who did the same thing. Yeah, of course. So I started doing stand-up comedy in 95. And uh, comedians, that's what they do. They yeah. drink. They drink on stage. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because in the 20 questions yeah. in the pamphlet, it says, do you drink at work? And I always, <laughs> I looked at that and I thought to myself, well, no, I don't drink during the day. So, But my work was at night. Yeah. And I drank. Yeah. So I had to mark yes to that eventually when I... Those quizzes, the answers sure do change over the years. Yeah, they do. You know, like the first time I saw one, I was like, no, 
Not really. No. You know, because denial is is such an active part of active alcoholism. Exactly. And then you go back and you're like, oh, yes to all of them. Yeah. (laughs) 20. 20 out of 20. I win. The only test I got a perfect score on. Yes. Um, So, okay. And so you became a comic. Mm -hmm. And how did that start? What were you? How'd you get in? Well, you know, I'd always wanted to do sitcoms. Mm -hmm. And I had a boyfriend at the time who was a talent agent. Mm -hmm. And I said to him, I want to be on a sitcom. Mm -hmm. And he goes, well, do stand-up comedy. That's your fastest way to get seen by the industry. So I put together an act and I started doing it. I never got on a sitcom, but I got a lot of other great things out of it. Yeah. Stand-up is a great background to have. Yeah. I've had so many comics on this show. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the sober comedian show. Yeah. With a couple of like musicians and writers and actors thrown in. Yeah. It's, um, you know, but then you ask people... You know, do you think uh, alcoholism is more prevalent in the comedy community? And and a lot of them will say no. I think depression is. Yeah, but I don't. I don't know about alcoholism. I'd say I'd say a lot of comics probably smoke pot. Yeah, really? Yes. Which I never got into. No, it's horrible. No. Why Par- didn't you like it? Paranoia. Fuck yeah. I would get so paranoid, and I would think everybody knows I'm stoned. Yeah, but I, they were probably stoned too because <clears throat> you were smoking pot with people. I didn't like the out of control feeling. Yeah. And I never got the out of control feeling when I was drinking. I just got kind of manic. Yeah. Kind of high. Yeah, I just pot was my paranoia. My uh, continuous looping thought was. Um, oh wait, oh yeah, nobody understands what I'm saying. Yeah. Nobody understands, and they probably didn't. Yeah. Because I wasn't, yeah. pot just, just never did me it for me. Out. I just did not like it. What drugs did you like? I, I didn't really do drugs. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I did crystal meth when I was in high school, like twice, uh-huh. and I remember feeling so guilty about it the next day, like, oh my, what am I doing? If my parents ever found out, they'd kill me. So I kind of stopped. Yeah. Doing that. So I wasn't really, I didn't do drugs. Wow. It was a, just a shitload of drinking. And so, and so you're comic, you are drinking. And then, and then what started to happen with the work stuff, all the good stuff that came from being in comic? Uh, well, a lot of good stuff happened. Like I got an agent and a manager and mm-hmm. I got the Montreal comedy festival mm-hmm. and I got, but I should tell you that in between all of this that was happening is I was, I was severely depressed mm-hmm. like a couple weeks out of every month. And I thought it was my period. So I thought it was like PMS. Mm-hmm. And then I went to a gynecologist and told him that I had really bad PMS. Mm-hmm. And he put me on a drug called Paxil. Mm-hmm. It's an antidepressant. Oh, I, yeah. Like you say that like, A, I haven't taken it. And B, like all the listeners Yeah, okay. <laughs> all right. So and within a week, I went into a full-blown manic episode. And they diagnosed me bipolar. Bipolar one or two? Bipolar one. Well, I'm two. Oh, nice. So you're on the depressed side. You don't get the manias. I don't get the manias. You get the little hypomania? No. I'll tell you, you this is a new that? diagnosis, and I'm not totally as comfortable as you are talking about it. Oh. But I have to. I mean, I knew it would come up because I knew that was, yeah. you know, part of um, I was diagnosed in uh, February of oh, this year. Oh, so it's new for you. It's a new thing. That's a scary thing. It's not because I was diagnosed with depression uh, I guess 20 years ago okay. and have been on the whole round of all of them, including Effexor for years and years and years. And, um, and did that help? 
I sure thought it did. Mm-hmm. I really, really thought it did. And then um, just the depression of the, starting this site last year and the place I lived and I couldn't walk because I had sciatica and like all this stuff just kind of came crashing down. And I went to a psychiatrist who actually really knows her shit. I don't know what your journey with psychiatrists oh, has terrible. been. Oh, terrible. But I have a good one now. Thank God. Yeah. But to find somebody who cares about you. To find somebody who knows what they're talking about. Right. Was Almost impossible. Right. Especially if you're going through insurance. Well, that's the thing. I learned, unfortunately, that I couldn't go through insurance. I mean, they were the craziest people I ever met. Yeah. And I don't want to, you know, tell people, you know, you can't get help if you go through insurance. But uh, this was the best $250 I ever spent was on this psychiatrist who could actually, you know, and we just talked about everything. And she's like, you know, and she's like, you know, Effexor is mainly for anxiety. And I think your anxiety is brought on by your mood disorder. And she put me on Lamictal, which has just been the wonder Isn't drug. Isn't it a miraculous drug? Are on you it. on it? Yes. What a 200 milligrams drug. a day. Me too. Isn't it a miracle? Oh my God. And it has a little bit of an antidepressant in it too. So it helps. I'll tell you, and I am knocking on wood, I have not been depressed since I got put on it, which is a miracle. That is so great. So, and and Effexor is like, did you ever go on, you know, you went straight from Paxil to Lamictal or no? No, I went, um, I think to Lithium. Uh Uh-huh. And, uh, but, you know, I didn't take any of my meds as directed while I was drinking. We, you like, so would you just take them periodically? Yeah. Or it would say on the bottle, don't mix with alcohol. Oh, well, so I would just be like, well, I won't take these meds then. Oh. <laughs> I'll just, you know? Because I was in denial for a long time that I had it. So Bipolar or alcoholism? Bipolar. Mm-hmm. Oh, alcoholism for sure. Mm-hmm. I never thought I was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Um, but bipolar disorder, I was probably in denial all the way up until my until I turned, until I got sober. Mm-hmm. At 40. I got f- sober at 40 years old. Mm-hmm. And then once I realized that I was still having depression and moods after being sober and working a program, I was like, there's something wrong. I really have to address address this. And so, but you had been taking the lithium-ish up until that point? No, I would would go to different doctors and not really listen to their advice and not really take them every day and sometimes forget them and have episodes. I had lots of episodes. In, in my, I feel like my 30s was one big episode. Really? Yeah. What was an episode like? Um, well, a manic episode is uh, you lose a lot of friends because you're talking too fast and you're grandiose and you th- I thought I was going to be a star or I thought I was... So it's like being on cocaine. Jesus, I guess. When it works. I've never... You've never done it. I don't really know what it's like to be on cocaine. You know what it, it sounds like to me? Ecstasy. Because you're also very like free with your body, and you want to be touched, and you want to have sex, and you want to you want to create, and you love everybody. And you'd you think feel you'd connected. make more friends, but yeah. it's it's exhausting. But your actual for friends don't really want to be around you because you're acting strange. Yeah, yeah, and it's very hard to reach somebody who's manic. So it's hard to say you are in an episode right now because. You'd be like, fuck off. I'm having a great time. I feel good because you feel so good. You know, I had one uh, right when I got on Lamictal, um, or, or I mean a month or two, I had one night 
One night. Where I knew it was mania. It was the weirdest thing. I knew it. I didn't want to buy an island. What, but what I was feeling was not... I'd never felt that way. And I was like... And I started Googling, can Lamictal bring on... In a can. Wow. In, you know, on, online about antidepressants, you can find anything in the world. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, I don't trust myself. I'm putting myself to sleep. So it wasn't a full on because I could sleep. Yeah. And like one yeah. of the symptoms of mania is yeah. you can't, right? No, you can't. You don't want to and you don't need it. Yeah. But I'm on like three drugs right now. Oh, I'm okay. I'm on uh, Lamictal, Abilify, and now I just got put on Seroquel. Okay. Because I was starting to go manic. Okay. And it, it's a good sleeping for bipolar. It's a good sleeping drug. Okay. It's non-addictive, which is great. Yeah. What about Trazodone? You ever try that one? No. Oh. It's because I was Ambien was my best friend. Oh, was it? My oh, mom yeah. is addicted to that, and she we're very is. worried about her because she forgets things constantly. Did you have a memory loss? Um, yeah, I think I still do, frankly. Really? Well, yeah. I mean, how much? Do you know how much she takes? She says she only takes a little, but she, her memory is bad. Well, but mothers are older. True. I She's mean, sixty-seven. My mom is not. Doesn't has never taken any drugs and. Her memory. Uh, actually, her memory is better than mine. I don't know what Ambien did to my memory. I, I It was bad, though. I was taking like 10 a night. And oh, my God. really, you know. And then that, people sleepwalk on that stuff and eat and do kind of. I know. It did make news for the eating. I, I don't think I did that. But what would happen to me is I would take like 10 at night, you know, to try to sleep. And then the next day, sometimes I would be in the car and I'd be like, where am I going? Why am I in the car? And I, you know, stuff like that. So it would still be in your system. Oh yeah. yeah. So trazodone is, is the one for me. It's not addictive. It's, you know, it, for anxious people who can't sleep. Okay. So just Good. log it in your brain. If the Seroquel, you know, Seroquel works like a charm. It does. Oh my God. But is it within 15 minutes? I'm asleep. Yeah. Did, and there's no like getting high feeling first. There's yeah. no like, ooh, I'm feeling good. Yeah. It's just, I'm really drowsy and I have to go to sleep. And and sleep was hard to come by before? When I'm going into a state of mania, it's the, before it's called hypomania. Mm-hmm. And it's all the best. If you could bottle that and sell it, you'd mm-hmm. be a billionaire. Mm-hmm. It's the best parts of being bipolar mm-hmm. is the hypomanic state. Mm-hmm. But my psychiatrist said, you're in a episode right now Mm -hmm. and there's always a downside you have to remember there's a crash Mm -hmm. so you have to get sleep that's the number one thing for bipolar Mm -hmm. you you have to get a good night's sleep every night Mm -hmm. because if you miss a night of sleep you can go into an episode Mm -hmm. it can happen very fast wow wow that is so it's interesting the difference between bipolar one and two because Mm -hmm. that's not my experience at all right i know that bipolar two you you live a lot with depression not since this drug. That's great. But yeah, I mean, of course. And I just, you yeah. know, there's so much depression in my family. I just, you know, accepted it. Yeah. Doesn't it suck to think of all the hours you missed out on feeling that way? Well, yeah. I mean, my depression's interesting, though. I was never, I like never, you know, I, I was suicidal towards the end of, you know, the the years of cocaine. But but that's, I don't, and I don't get that. I can't get out of bed. Like, I've never gotten that. Mm. I get the, like, low-grade thoughts are very bad, but I am fully functioning. Okay. Fully. Okay. That's good. Yeah, it's weird. That's good. I had, after my first major manic episode, I had a depression where I was in bed for two months. Literally. And I, and I wasn't sober. I didn't have any 12-step 
group. I didn't have a therapist. I didn't have anybody to talk to. I was just alone mm. and pretty much writing suicide notes every day mm. and reading about Kurt Cobain and reading about <laughs> Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> I'm reading about all these people who'd killed themselves and going, how did they get the nerve to do it? You know, did you have a plan? The, the last, the day before, well, I'll tell you. It was September 29th, 1996, mm-hmm. and I was at the, the lowest point, and I thought, okay, I'm just going to take all the pills I have, because mm-hmm. I had all these drugs from all these different psychiatrists mm-hmm. sitting on my, my nightstand, and then I said, and then I said a prayer, mm-hmm. and I said, what, what do I do, God? I want to take all these drugs, and this voice came to me very clearly and said, get a puppy. <laughs> I was like, get a puppy? I don't even know if I'm allowed to have dogs in this building, but... Mm-hmm. Okay, if God told me to get a puppy, I'm getting one. So I called a recycler. Mm-hmm. I, I got the recycler. I called the first dad, went and got a puppy. Mm-hmm. And that was the beginning of the end of my depression. Because wow. you're being of service yeah. constantly. Yeah. You get out of yourself. I had to get out of the house. I had to walk her every day. So slowly but surely, she saved my life. Wow. Yeah, I feel like one of my cats did that with me. I mean, I know that I got sober like right after getting her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because you want to be a parent to them. Yeah. You want to be as good as you can be. Well, and you get, like, you remember... Mm. I mean, because one of the major symptoms of depression, of course, is that you don't you don't really get you're depressed anymore. I mean, that's my experience, that I, I, I forget that I'm in a state. Right. You just think, this is the way it is. Yeah. There's no light at the tunnel. Yeah. And this is my life. And every thought that's coming to you is negative. It's, it goes, and it's real. It goes through a dark filter. Yeah. And there's no hope. It's and awful. so you get this adorable, loving thing, and your brain goes, huh, I think. I'm making this up right mm-hmm. now. You know? Well, mm-hmm. maybe it's not all bad. I, mean, I don't know. Right. You know. Well, when you look at the face of a puppy, yeah, it's I mean, hard it's hard not to on. smile. Yeah. Yeah. So you get this puppy, and then mm-hmm. you get out of bed. Because mm-hmm. you, you have start, to walk. Start getting out of bed slowly mm-hmm. but surely. And then I guess about, it took about two months later that I was functioning again. Mm-hmm. But I was always still cycling mm-hmm. with depressions and more depressions and manias. Mm-hmm. And I suffered, mm-hmm. suffered throughout my 30s. Couldn't have a relationship with a man. Mm-hmm. I would have episodes of paranoia and he's cheating on me and mm-hmm. I break up with him. And that was my pattern. Meet mm-hmm. a guy, fall madly in love within a day, mm-hmm. uh, date him for two months and then think, something bad mm-hmm. like he's doing something and then break up with him mm-hmm. and then I did that over and over again in my 30s right with all these different guys and then what how sustain what's it like now well now I have a boyfriend and we've been together almost three years amazing and we live together and it's healthy and he's never seen me manic mm-hmm. and I hope he never will mm-hmm. because I get really mean really mm. mean raging, angry, screaming. Even though you feel so good during those episodes? Well, it it goes to a point... Like, first you feel really good and high, and then you get a little bit out of your mind, mm-hmm. and then you get... The uh, the flip side of it is, is parent, extreme paranoia and rage. Wow. Yeah. Because anyone who... If you didn't sleep for a week, yeah. you would be irritable too. Yeah. Anyone would. Yeah. Be, like, snappy and, like off and no patience yeah so that's what happens wow. is you get really it's ugly it's wow ugly. yeah and if i wasn't sober if i didn't have my sobriety my program my sponsor the steps a psychiatrist 
all, all the things that you learn to do in program is to take care of yourself. If I didn't have any of that, I would not have the life I have today. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So what, between the getting the puppy and getting sober, what happened? Um, just, uh, kind of blew my, my, what do you mean my career? No, or? like mentally. Mentally just. Cause uh, that's a long time before you got I sober. Know, I know. Because I would have bouts of good times. Yeah. You know, it would be fun. Some, you know, like they say fun, then fun with problems and yeah. just problems. Yeah. <laughs> so it was fun for a long time. Yeah. I like to have shots of tequila and make out with guys. Yeah. And Who doesn't? You, yeah. <laughs> and so in my 30s, it's it's sort of cute, I guess, when you're in your 20s to do mm-hmm. that behavior. But when you're approaching your late 30s, it's just pathetic. Mm-hmm. And all your friends are married and mm-hmm. having kids. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I can't figure out life. Mm-hmm. Like, how come I can't figure this out? I'm very smart. Mm-hmm. And I was always high-functioning in my career. Mm-hmm. That's why I didn't think I had a problem with yeah. alcohol. Because I thought alcoholics were people that had DUIs, which mm-hmm. I never had, or just living homeless or losing everything. Yeah, I think a lot of people think that. Yes. When that's, I mean, what, 0.001% of alcoholics? Who knows? Yeah. It's not a high percentage. Yeah, so I was high functioning. Yeah. So I thought, I thought, oh, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. I just drink like everybody else drinks. So mm-hmm. I'm not an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Never thought I was an alcoholic until I was 40 years old and I had all this stuff on the outside that I'd worked so hard for. Like I had a great job writing. I was writing on Chelsea lately, mm-hmm. and I was I had my own condo that I bought, and I had my dog, and I had a nice car, but I was suicidal again. Mm-hmm. And so I got on my knees and I prayed and I said, what do I do? Plus, I couldn't ever make a relationship last. I wanted a boyfriend so bad. Mm -hmm. I was lonely. Mm -hmm. You know the loneliness that comes with alcoholism. Oh, sure. It's like that void in the pit of your stomach that never goes away. The hole in your soul. It's so scary, too. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I said a prayer. Again, surrendered everything. I was in a total surrender at that state. I believe I was in a step one. Right. And this voice said, go to AA and you'll have everything you ever wanted. Wow. Super clear, crystal clear, one sentence. Had you thought of AA before? No. I was like, I mean, I had been to AA meetings with friends. Yeah. Like just to check them out. And sometimes I would like to go to the candlelight meetings at mm-hmm. night at 10, 10 o'clock at night at, uh, at Radford Hall. Oh, I don't even know about this. Yeah. And I would just sit in the back and listen to people's stories and think, this is cool. These people are cool. Right. You know, because right. they're so open and honest. But I never identified because mm-hmm. they had these crazy stories of going to jail and, mm-hmm. you know, doing meth. And I just couldn't relate. Mm-hmm. So I was listening for the differences, not the yeah. similarities. Yeah. And so you hear this voice, you go to a meeting that the day, next day, the next day, mm-hmm. you just find one. A friend, I people. called a friend yeah. and she came and got me and uh-huh. she took me to my meeting. And, uh-huh. I, and then from that moment on, I did everything that was suggested of me. Mm-hmm. I had just, I was totally in surrender. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll get a sponsor. I'll work the steps. I'll get a commitment. I'll do whatever every, anyone tells me to do. And my life started getting better. Are okay. you still like that? No. Mm-hmm. I don't it's work hard. as good a program. It's hard to work a program when life is going well. It sure is. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But then sometimes I can feel myself slipping into ego. Yeah. I'm like too overly focused on my career. Yeah. And I'm like, what am I trying to get? I'm trying to get that 
I'm trying to fill something yeah. that cannot be filled with material things. What about the relationship? Do you try to do it with that? With my boyfriend? Yeah, with just like, uh, you know, like in terms of like the obsession to drink, like I think about this with relationships. I mean, more when they're new. Mm-hmm. The, the you know the alcoholism can really kick in mm-hmm. for me yeah it's like love addiction yeah when it's like oh my god i haven't been high in years yeah, and here's this get man totally high off a man i've done that my whole life did you not yeah. do that with your current relationship well this one was different because we were both sober mm-hmm. you know so i was coming from a more grounded place mm-hmm so, of course, I was madly in love with him the first week of yeah. dating him. That's just who I am. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm an Me addict. Too. I'm a yeah. compulsive gambler, too, by the way. Whoa, we can't wait to get into that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so I do anything to the extreme. Okay, so you're madly in love the first week, and then, but you control it. But he's very slow. Uh-huh. So he, I couldn't. Yeah. do my behavior with yeah. him yeah. because he was like really healthy. Yeah, and he, he wouldn't just, go on the ride. No, and he just came out off of a divorce, so he was like, gun shy about relationships so he would not buy into my like flirtations or any of my mm-hmm. behaviors you're like let's get married now well behaviors. Yeah. I, yeah I would be texting him and like yeah. are you still super cute that was one of my texts to him wait and he that didn't respond. You, men don't run away when you say that he didn't but he yeah. didn't respond yeah i was like oh my god yeah he just didn't he didn't respond he wasn't a sex addict. He wasn't, yeah. you know, inappropriate yeah. at all. He was just very appropriate. Yeah. And went super slow. So it was good for me. Yeah. Have you ever been on the alcoholic ride with a, like, Oh my God. With somebody who'll do it with you. Yes. And you're just like, Oh my God, we're like on meth. Yeah. Well, that's what would happen to me. I yeah. would do that with lots of guys. Yeah. And we'd get high on each other for yeah. two months. And then it, the reality would kick in. Yeah. Like, this guy, after I'd see his apartment. Yeah. And I'd be like, what am I doing? Right. Like, if he had an apartment. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Um, so tell me about the gambling. Oh, well, I love video poker. I'm kind of obsessed with it. Okay. Yeah. If I'm in a casino, I completely lose control. I went on the Gamblers Anonymous site and uh-huh. I did their 20 question thing. 19? No, but a lot, like mm-hmm. half. Mm-hmm. And it runs in my family gambling. But I can't be in a casino and not lose like $2,000. Wow. So you just don't go to them or you do? Um,. I will go occasionally. Mm-hmm. My boyfriend refuses to go with me anymore. He's mm-hmm. like, I don't like your gambling personality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you're out of control. Mm-hmm. And so it's something I have to do alone. Mm-hmm. Which which isn't doesn't is, feel great. It's not that fun. Yeah. You kind of feel like a loser. You'll go to Vegas? Or you, video poker you can do all... At- I would do it at a casino, Indian Reservation casino. Okay. That's like half an hour from my mom's house. So uh-huh. I'd go stay with her and uh-huh. then drive to the casino. Right, right. And just play blackjack and play video poker all night and get high off of it yeah i I sat in a seat for 12 hours straight wow yeah i didn't eat i drank orange juice to keep my blood sugar up just so i could continue gambling was your mom like honey sarah she didn't really know my mom never judges right my mom is like well if that's what you want to do for fun maybe you're having a midlife crisis have a good time (laughs) have a good time uh but other people in my family were like what are you doing yeah you know yeah. my boyfriend what are you doing i'm worried about you this is so i've kind of slowed down on it yeah did you think about doing that program uh, no i can't have another program do you have a lot right now well i go to al-anon sometimes yeah, yeah. and my program and it's like i i 
I just can't bring on another. I hear you, dude. That's fun for me. We don't have that many fun things to do anymore. If it's fun and not unmanageable and you're not thinking about it all the time. Right. It's not making my life unmanageable. I'm not going to lose my house over it. Yeah. You know? I only lose what I can afford. Yeah. And then I feel bad about myself after. Yeah. And I have a shame spiral for three days. Yeah. And then you forget and do it again. Yeah, I mean, does it does it exacerbate symptoms of bipolar? Yes, though? it can bring on a mania. Yeah, yep. And when you're manic, you want to spend money. Uh huh. So they can both like trigger. Do each you ever other. win? Do you ever come away? Yes, winner? that's what sucks you in. But you but you leave with money. No, I table? never leave with money. Right, I never leave with money. But I did win five thousand dollars once uh-huh. on a video on a hand of video poker. Uh huh. I hit, um, it was a triple play machine and I hit the, I was Delta Royal flush. And did you leave or you just No, stayed? I kept that money. I kept oh, it. Oh, good. So I did go home with like $4,000 and I played with the, the other thousand. Yeah. 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 And so when you say it's in your family, who gambles? My mom mm-hmm. was addicted to the races for mm-hmm. m- many years of her life. Mm-hmm. My grandpa was a gambler. He taught us to play craps when we were little kids. Mm-hmm. My brother is in GA. Uh huh. Um, I think he has a year now, mm-hmm. which is good. And I have another brother who's a gambler. He's not working a program right now. I mean, that is really in your family. Yeah, that is not fucking around. It is. What about alcoholism? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Untreated. Mm-hmm. You're you the first. Yes. And I'm what the do, only? How does your family respond to that? Um, I don't think they take me seriously. Mm-hmm. They go, you're not an alcoholic. Yeah. But okay, if that's what you want to do. Yeah. So I don't... See, most people who knew me wouldn't say I had a problem with alcohol. Yeah. Because it's an internal thing. It sure is. It's an inside job. And when you manage to not get DUIs and not make a big fool of yourself, were you doing a lot of drinking alone? I would drink, Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, Nightly. that's a way to... Nightly. Yeah. With my wine. Yeah. A couple glasses of wine. Yeah. Did anybody say, okay, yeah, I knew I'm it. A therapist. Okay. Yeah. My therapist said. And that's the only person? Yes. Interesting. Oh, actually, no. I forgot to tell you this part. I went to a 12-step program for sex and love addiction uh-huh. when I was in my 30s uh-huh. because I thought that was my problem because yeah. I kept doing this behavior around men. Yeah. And my, when I did my fourth step in that pro- program, my fifth step, my mm-hmm. sponsor told me I was an alcoholic. Cool. She wow. looked at all of my yeah. history and said, you need to go to 5 AA meetings. Yeah. And Lucky you. It's a much more fun program. Yeah. AA. Yeah. Over SLA. And there's a lot of cute guys. In SLAA? No, in AA. Yeah, seriously. Do you go to women's meetings? I kind of have a tough time getting inspired to do that. I'm supposed to go to one tonight, and I'm dreading it already. I really... I've gone through phases where I can do it, but like, you know, whatever it takes to get you in the seat, Mm -hmm. you know? And I I recently heard somebody say, you know, validation was my first drug, and Mm. I relate to that. Mm. I like that. Yeah, like, you know, I like a little attention. Here's how long do you have? I'll be 14 in November. Nice. I don't know if you're like this, but I can only go to meetings now that are solution oriented. I can't hear about the problem anymore. I can't hear the drunk logs. I can. You can? Yes. Oh, I totally can. I I still find them fascinating. But then again, I write about this and talk about this all day long. Like I may have a never ending capacity to be fascinated by this. Oh, okay. See, I I get like, we know what you did. Everyone did it. Everyone did it. Get to what you're doing today. Yeah. I mean, I like that. My home group is like, you know, you're not allowed to talk about 
it's not quite that serious. Like, you know, there's oh, that. I love that. Yeah. Oh, it's Where a Where is that? Meeting. In Hollywood? Yeah. I'll tell you after. Okay. I mean, look, I guess if anyone's listening, it's the best meeting in LA. So nice. Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. It's early. Las Palmas and Franklin. That's okay. I would I would do that if Ugh. it's a solution-oriented meeting Ugh, and they talk about the solution. Oh, so God. Or if it's a big book study. I like those. I Yeah. I, I It's weird. I now do a thing. Well, now. I've been needlepointing in meetings for years and years and years and part of it is i have a very hard time sitting still Mm -hmm. like i don't know you know because your career too is very like you do this and you do that and you do this Mm -hmm. and you know the reason mine is like that is that i can't sit still do you meditate twice a day and have for 10 years i know Oh my god. It's shocking. Good for you. Somebody took me when I was, um, I had dinner plans with a girl who I wanted to be friends with in AA. And she's like, oh, you know what? I actually can't go to dinner. I'm going to this meditation lecture. And I wanted to be her friend. So I was like, oh, I'll go to this thing. Didn't want to at all. Heard my meditation teacher is amazing. His name's Tom Knowles. Heard Mm -hmm. him speak and was like, whatever this man says, I'll do. And I learned the next day. Really? And I I had no intention of doing this. I had meditated twice a day. For the past 10 years, I've missed days. That's really good. It's like the best thing for you, supposedly. It is. I mean, Tom and, you know, other people were like, oh my God, as soon as you're doing this for a few years, people are going to come rushing up to you and be like, you are so serene. How do I get that? Not only has no one ever said that to me, (laughs) no one will ever say that to me. So I don't know. All I can assume is that I'd be less calm if I didn't do it. Yeah. You know? So you don't do it? I don't. I've tried... Have I've you ever tried, tried transcendental meditation? No. Well, that's, I mean, he, he teaches something called Vedic meditation, which is an offshoot. Mm-hmm. And there's no way I can say, what it does for people who like to do things, mm-hmm. it gives you a mantra. Oh. And this mantra is specifically for you, that it is the sound, I'm not explaining this articulately, but it is the sound, uh, the sounds that will calm you. Hmm. And there are however many different mantras and they figure out what's the one for you. And I'm telling you the one, you're never allowed to tell anyone what it is. Oh. What I repeat in my head instantly calms me. So you repeat it over and over again. It's and all you're doing. Instead of focusing on the breath, you're focusing on the mantra. Yeah. I can never just focus on the breath. Are you I kidding know. me? So like I get distracted. You don't get distracted from this. Oh. It's amazing. Maybe I'll try that. I'll yeah. go with you sometime. Yeah. He, well, now I don't, I have a weird thing. I don't like to, me- I would totally tell you, I don't like to meditate with people, which mm-hmm. is weird because everyone who learns like loves, they get off on the power of the group. I get very right. distracted by their noises. What Tom did is he taught I don't even know. I think 30 people in LA because he lives in Arizona. Mm. So they all teach his method. Oh. And they're all over. I, the previous podcast guest, Jeff Kober, is one of the best teachers in LA. And he does, he'll do a talk. You go. Uh, if you want to learn that week, you go three times to him. You pay. It's a donation. Oh. It's I the like best that. deal in town. Next time he talks, I'll, I'll take you. Okay. Yeah. I'd love to go. Yeah. Because my boyfriend meditates. And he does. He's constantly telling me. He tells me every day. Does he do like just the breathing one? Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, he tells me every day, you need to do this. You need to do this. And I resist it more than anything. So I'm assuming I need to do it. You know how that is. Yeah. I did it for years. I would be like, for the first four years of my sobriety, I would be like, you, anytime someone talked about it, I'd feel guilty and ashamed. Because I was like, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, it's one of our steps. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Although our step doesn't get specific about how to do it. Right. 
And, um, and then it's just like, it's such a lesson. Cause then like one day someone took me and I did it. So there's no point in ever beating myself up for things I'm not doing. Cause I do believe right. when the time comes, we just naturally do that. Yeah. I think, well, this is good for me to hear. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'm definitely open. Well, the other thing open to for other a type options. A career woman, mm-hmm. I will tell you is that my whole life I wanted to write a book. And I didn't do it till I learned to meditate. And now I've published six. Really? Yeah. Good for you. Well, but that's that, huge. But that's the thing. I mean, that's sobriety. That's AA. That's not me. Right. That's your higher power. That's how I learned. And, you know, yeah. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't stop getting fired. Yeah. And then it's like, well, I can do this one day at a time. Yeah. So I believe yeah. we can do six anything. books. Yeah. Amazing. Five of them didn't sell well at all. So it's, I'm never doing it again. All I do on this podcast is talk about how much, how writing books is the worst way to try to make a living. Yeah. My best friend has five books out. Well, is your best friend Stephanie? Stephanie yes. Cause she's been on the podcast. Oh yeah. And yeah. I love her to death. Yeah. She's my bestie. We've been together for 20 together. Yeah. We've been best friends for like 20 years. Danielle told me that. Yeah. Yeah, love her. She was amazing on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And, like, I want to do stuff with her. Like, I want to mm-hmm. go and, you know. She's fun. She's fun. But, like, she can get stuff done, like movements around sobriety and, yeah. you know, whatever. So she was sober. Oh, you, so are you sober longer? Yes. So did you take her in? Yes. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. The book writing's working out a little better for her than it did for me. Uh, you know, she's still at it, and she's hers have sold really well. I had one that sold really well. That's but, great. Ugh, yeah. Never hey, again. to accomplish it, to finish it, what a good feeling. Yeah, it was, and and that whatever. It's a whole thing. I can talk anybody out of doing a book if they ever want to. I have tried. Oh yeah, I tried writing don't, a book about bipolar it. disorder, and I I couldn't even. No. Yeah. I don't, I'm not a good long form writer. I'm good with jokes, like short or short sketches. But anything that's like, you know, becomes in like an essay or type of thing, I can't write. My, I can't focus. That I bet you could. I bet you could. I say write essays and not books. That's just my opinion. Uh, okay. Um, but so, okay, wait. So we were on uh, meditation. Okay, you got sober. Where were we? I told you I took Ambien. I don't have a memory. I can't remember. Um, but so, okay, so let's talk about how you started this show. So what was the inspiration behind it? I started the show because a guy told me women weren't, uh, I was too pretty to be funny. Mm-hmm. So I thought that's a funny title. Pretty mm-hmm. funny. Mm-hmm. So I got my Stephanie Wilder. Mm-hmm. I got a bunch of girls together that I thought were really cute. Mm-hmm. And we put together this showcase called Pretty Funny Women. Mm-hmm. And we sold it out. And I've been doing it ever since. And where is it? Where does it go? Uh, Flappers Comedy Club in Burbank mm-hmm. once a month. Mm-hmm. And the Comedy Store mm-hmm. in West Hollywood once a month. And who are some of the people you've had in it? Over the years? Yeah. Oh, uh, Chelsea Handler, Natasha Leggero, Maria Bamford, mm-hmm. uh, Margaret Cho, mm-hmm. um, Tig Nataro, mm-hmm. who's, who's like my favorite, Danielle Stewart, of yeah, course. Of course. Stephanie, yeah. Sean Polofsky, Sarah Colonna. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, just pretty much every, Trish Sir, some, at some time or another, uh-huh. some woman that's pretty well known right now has come through the doors and right. done the show. Right. And then I turned it into a school. Okay. So eight years ago I started teaching. So oh. now I strictly produce shows for my students. I don't produce outside shows anymore. Oh, that's great. Yeah. 
So where do they go? Like, how could people find it? They just go to prettyfunnywomen.com. Yeah. And they can sign up for classes. Mm -hmm. It's obviously only in LA, though, right? It's eight weeks, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's it's 400 bucks for eight weeks. Isn't that a good deal? It's a great deal. To get funny? Yeah. Are you kidding? You get a five-minute set. You do it at a comedy club for a graduation show. And And at Flappers, is that where they Mm -hmm. are? Yeah. That is awesome. So how many women do you think you've taken through it? Probably over 600. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And do they go on to establish careers? You know, I've only been teaching for eight years. Mm-hmm. It takes about 10 years to become a name comic. Yeah. So uh, in the next couple of years, some of these girls will start to break through. I have one girl who's a regular on Scandal, or uh, recurring on Scandal. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have girls that are like working now and doing exciting things, mm-hmm. but their name isn't big yeah. yet. Yeah. They yeah, need yeah. to get on a show. Yeah. And, um, okay, but so you started writing on Chelsea lately. Yes. And how did that come about? Um, well, I'd worked with Chelsea because she would do my shows every month, Pretty mm-hmm. Funny Women. And then I wrote on Girls Behaving Badly. Mm-hmm. And then I wrote on the Chelsea Handler show, which was her first TV show. Mm-hmm. And then she brought me on to Chelsea Lately. But um, in the middle of it, I had a manic episode. Okay. And I was completely out of it. I, I was so crazy and probably really hard to deal with, super emotional. Mm-hmm. So at that time that I was writing on that show, I got this huge voiceover campaign, mm-hmm. and uh, I had to pick one. Chelsea mm-hmm. wouldn't let me do both. Mm-hmm. So she said, you got to choose one. Mm-hmm. You can't work here and do your voiceovers. Mm-hmm. So I'm sorry, my stomach's growling. Nobody <gasps> can hear it. I didn't hear it. Okay. So I, I chose the voiceover job, and I left the show. Uh-huh. I wasn't fired. But I probably was on my way to being fired because I was acting so weird. Right. I didn't know I was in an episode. I didn't. And know you weren't sober yet. I was newly sober, uh-huh. like four months sober. Yeah, which is you know that's a the worst time for all of us. Yeah, it's the worst. Um, and so and so then what, what this Denise Richards show, which I watch. Do you? I will say I was like a weird had this weird life as a reality show expert. I'm not kidding. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, where I was doing columns for Fox News about it and like going on TV shows and talking about reality shows. And so I had to watch everything. Oh. And I liked that show. Mm-hmm. And I was a consultant on that show. Okay. So what does that so mean? So they brought me in to do a specific episode for Krista Allen. Mm-hmm. But the episode was Krista Allen was going to do stand-up comedy. So they Wait, brought me in Wait, because that was before her. I was friends with her. Now I don't... Now I'm remembering in retrospect. Yeah. So she did stand-up at the Hollywood Improv okay. on the show. And okay, I coached why her was that and helped her write her set. Richard's show? I can't remember. Because they're, they're good friends. Really? I didn't yeah. think that. They had a storyline where they're friends, and she said, I want, I want to try stand-up. Uh-huh. And so Denise supported her in that decision. And, and did you know Krista it. before? No. Okay. Met her on that show. She's so awesome. She's so incredibly talented. I know. She's one of the most amazing actresses I've ever seen. And oh. she's so good with comedy. See, and, and I... I, not to like, completely do what the guy who gave you your show name did, but like when I would hang out with her, I would just look at her and go, I cannot believe God created someone so beautiful. I know. Like it's hard to look at her. She is one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen. I just shot something with her yesterday. What is it? Um, it's called The Support Hose. Uh-huh. And we're two women who give advice uh-huh. to callers uh-huh. and so we had one girl call in who said that she has herpes and she didn't know how to tell her boyfriend so we gave her advice on how to tell him and how do you get the callers like where, where? oh it's fake oh okay you know we <laughs> write the whole script right so. and you're gonna release this on like youtube or we're gonna try to get it to funny or die oh yeah yeah so awesome yeah 
And um, and so today, life is good. It life is like. really good. Life is good. And yeah. I mean, it can always be better. What, how could it be better? I could be making more money. Uh huh. What know? would you want? Well, I wrote a half hour, uh-huh. and it's sitting at APA right now. Mm-hmm. I'm waiting for it to be read. Mm-hmm. It's been there for a month, mm-hmm. and that's frustrating. Yeah. Because you know how hard it is to write something and complete it and finish it. Yes. And then get notes, and we did like six passes on it from notes from this showrunner friend of mine, uh-huh. and we made it tight and perfect. And so it's we, great, so you wrote it with I have someone. a partner, uh-huh. yes. And we wrote this script, and um, we can't get anyone to read it. Yeah. So it's just sitting on someone's desk. Ugh, I know and that. And it's so frustrating. Yeah. It's like, this thing could make me a lot of money. Yeah. If we could get it out there. Age, it's APA, you said? Yeah. Yeah, I used to be there. Uh, um, you know, low-hanging fruit. That's like what these agents, you know. And yeah. I've learned you can't resent them because... They're busy. Well, they just want to make own, money. So yeah. they don't want to read something that they are not 100% positive they can make money on right so why waste the time so you have to do all the work yourself so we have to somehow try to attach talent to it first yeah but you need an agent to attach talent so it's like such a catch-22 i know i know i you know some i gave up on all that i did it for a minute i did one screenplay for uh it was non-guild um but it's just so you wrote a screenplay too I wrote, yeah, I used to do, this was what I was trying to do before I ever wrote books. Wow. Very ineffectively, because I, I would imagine. do like two grams of cocaine and, um, and then stay try, up for like five days and try to write a script, but I would just end up revising one, one line over and over <laughs> and over again. That's, that's the truth. But then when I got sober, I started one to, line literally for two years while you were doing one line. Well, yeah, I was doing many more than one line <laughs> and it was uh, better before I started. Like the line was fine. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's true. Um, but but then, you know, when I first got sober, I was working in magazines and I was trying to do it. And then mm-hmm. um, and then I don't I'm not very good at it. I've learned like I can do other writing a lot more easily. Mm-hmm. I think it's really hard. Oh, it's so hard. Yeah. It's just writing is hard. See, I don't think I think writing is the most natural thing in the world. And anything I can do, I think is easy. I'm like, what? you can write a book. But like things I can't do, I'm like, they're impossible. How could anybody write? I don't, you know, I actually do have a a, a half hour that um, I'm I'm working on. I never seem to have the time. And I can't tell if it's good. Mm. I have no gauge. It's so weird. After a while, like my partner and I, well, see, this is the beauty of stand-up comedy is you can try jokes out on stage. Yeah. And then you can put them in your script. But still, writing funny funny lines is not hard. It's making the format. The story and the format, yeah. And uh, after a while, we were like, is this funny? We don't know anymore. So we'd have to send it to people to mm-hmm. give us notes. Yeah. To, they would tell us, this is really good. Yeah. This is really good. So one of the top showrunners in town read it and gave us notes and gave it to APA for us. Yeah. And he gave it to them. But why can't he it. then go give it to like executives who can then... Because he's running a show right yeah, now. Yeah. He's super busy. And, and I mean, the faith thing. To bring it back to the faith thing and to right. like, you know... You have to you, let it go, right? Well, yeah. And like you kneeling and hearing the, the voice that tells you to get a puppy and then to go to AA. Like, how can people like us doubt that things are not happening exactly how they're supposed to? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I know. This, I was in a place this morning with my boyfriend. I was crying to him. I was like, I'm just frustrated. I'm tired of working so hard and not generating any income right now, you know? Right. 
And he was like, okay, that's just today. What do you have to do today? I go, well, I'm going to a podcast. I was so happy I had yeah, this podcast because I had something to do that right. meant, meant something to me. You know? Right. And he was like, just focus on today. Let the universe take care of the rest. Let God take care of the rest. You know, and I, was, I forgot for a minute that I wasn't in charge. Oh, I forget for hours. It's, yeah. You only forgot for a minute? No, I mean, I've, <laughs> I've been forgetting for a week. <laughs> it's so hard. But like, I don't know about you, but, you know, well, first of all, you start that show. Now you're teaching. That was never part of the plan. No. Like, we don't know why something's not working. Right. Until sometimes years later. Yeah. And we don't know when something will work, just not on our schedule. Right. You know, I feel like my higher power works with, like, you want this to happen like this? Well, the more you push for that, the more I'm not going to give it to you. And the more, I mean, I don't know if it's that punishing a higher mm-hmm. power. It's not punishing. Right. It's loving. It wants what's best for me. Right. But push, when I get into a place of pushing, it doesn't feel good. No. I, I, like, I like the law of least resistance. Yeah. You know, just do less and accomplish more. Yeah. And I've been in the place of pushing lately and it's going overboard. I know. And like we're supposed right. to like, when we feel like that, like go to the beach. Like when you think you need we'll to go, go to a meeting. You know that too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Such a good note to end on. Thank you so Thank much you for Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. fun. Yeah. So she was a pretty funny woman and she is Lisa Sunset. And I hope you loved her the way that I did and the way I love you. So thanks for listening. Talk to you next week.